Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, October 14th, 2019. Today we are continuing our study on the Master Plan of Evangelism by Dr. Robert Coleman. And today we will be joined by Jason Sampler, our Georgia State Director, as he leads us through Chapter 2 of the Master Plan of Evangelism. Welcome again to Lifeline's Weekly Bible Study. I'm Rick Morton. I look forward to today uh, discussing with you uh, Chapter 2 of Robert Coleman's book, Master Plan of Evangelism. Chapter 2 is entitled Association. And so today we're going to talk a little bit about the way um, that Jesus made disciples. Um, One of the really significant privileges of my ministry has been to get to spend a little bit of time with Dr. Coleman and to discuss uh, his thoughts on discipleship, um, on evangelism, and pardon me, and realizing that um, the Master Plan of Evangelism is really a book about discipleship. And so even as we talk about um, the task of uh, leading others to, to know and to follow Jesus, um, the task is really, um, is really not separable. We can't say that we can do evangelism without discipleship or discipleship without evangelism. When someone's truly converted to Christ, they grow as a disciple Um, And someone can't really be a disciple of Jesus without having yielded their life to Jesus. And so so sometimes I think in the church we try to separate those two things when in reality uh, the Bible points to a picture that's, that's much more unified. Um, some of the important things that, that Coleman points out in, in this chapter, one of them is that, that Jesus didn't have a program or a school, which uh, if you look at the things that were going on around um, during the, the, the life of Jesus, um, the Pharisees and the Sadducees had, uh, had schools, like they'd set up academies uh, in order to teach and kind of this formal system of education, but Jesus, on the other hand, used a a much more ancient and much more relational way to teach as a rabbi, and so literally, um, he just included the disciples in his life, and they they walked with him, and they um, they talked with him, and they went the places where he went, and they did the things that he did, and and they were always close by, and he used kind of the natural circumstances of life to be uh, to be teaching opportunities to help them to know uh, to know him, and to know how to follow him, and to ultimately help them to know how to find redemption. Um, through his work. And so, you know, this is not unlike what we see in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where, um, where the Lord is, is speaking through Moses to the people, and the people are considering, um, you know, what they will do with the law. And, and so we know that, that beautiful passage that begins in verse 4 of the Shema passage that tells us uh, and it tells Israel to, to, that the Lord is one and that, that they should love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and with all their might, and that they should um, keep those commandments on their heart. And so Moses um, was really um, being used of God in order to challenge the people um, through the introduction of the law to, to be a people who were faithful to 
passing down the faith and passing down the story of God's provision for them from generation to generation. But there was a particular way God told the people to do this. And it starts in verse 7 of chapter 6 of Deuteronomy. It says, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and, and on your gates. And why did he do this? In, in verse 10 he says, And when the Lord uh, your God brings you into the land that he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give you with great and good cities that you did not build and houses full of good things that you did not fill um, and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant. And when you eat and are full, then, then take care lest you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So in other words, they were, they were being told to teach the subsequent generation so the subsequent generations would remember the salvation that the Lord had brought to the nation of Israel. And, and by, by proxy, um, Jesus has given us an example of the way that we should teach others, that we should teach the next generation so that they'll understand the salvation that's been brought to us um, fully and completely in Jesus and, and will understand um, how to follow Jesus and how to help others to follow Jesus. Um, and so um, if we look at, for this example, I want to look and concentrate in, in the book of John and then also a little bit in, uh, in Revelation. But, but in the book of John, we see um, a, a kind of a thread that runs through John about, about Jesus being present, about him being, um, him being with the people, and about how significant that is. Um, in John 1.14, it says that, uh, that the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt, you've heard me say on this podcast before, the word dwelt literally means that, that, that Jesus um, set up a tent with that, that he set up a temporary housing with the people. He dwelt among the people. Jesus stepped out of heaven. He stepped out of his glory. He put on flesh, and, and he literally lived among us in a house of flesh. Um, in Leviticus uh, chapter 23, we, we see the, the, the presentation of one of the feasts that God gave to Israel, the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot. And, and in, <clears throat> just coming up here, um, like this week, October 13th through the 20th, uh, Jews will celebrate this feast of, of Sukkot. And, and, and the, the, the way that ancient Israel separated or, or celebrated this, this feast was that they literally would move out of their homes and, and they would live in a tent and they would live like nomads for a week to remember the time when, when Israel had the tabernacle and when they were a people that didn't have a place. They, 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 really, they were a nation without a place and that, and that God's presence went with them wherever they went in, in the tabernacle. Um, Jesus was, of course, speaking into a context where the tabernacle wasn't needed any longer because Israel did have a place and God had provided for them a land and he had given them uh, a, a permanent temple and a permanent place for, um, for, the, the, for, the, for God to dwell um, in, in the Holy of Holies in the temple. 
But what this signifies for us about Jesus pitching his tent with us and then us understanding what that means um, for for the implications of our associations and and, and discipling people is that 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 God was leading Israel to to go through this thing in the in the Feast of Tabernacles to to signify what Jesus was going to do later. He was asking them to move outside of their house, houses and to inconvenience themselves because Jesus was going to ultimately inconvenience himself by by moving out of heaven and coming to this earth to live and to die for us. And in our discipleship, I believe that God is calling for us to inconvenience ourselves in order to live among the people that we disciple, that we're, we're supposed to go out of our way in order to, to be a people that don't have a program or don't have a school, not that those things are bad, but that we, we engage the real lives of people the way that Jesus engaged the real lives of people. Um, and, and so we want to be people who, who practice um, the ministry of presence the way that, that Jesus did. If we go on down in, in John chapter 14, um, we, we see a, a, pretty, a pretty stunning spiritual truth um, that, that Jesus talks about this idea of, of knowing God um, through him. And, and beginning in verse 6 of, uh, of, of chapter 14, Thomas asked a question. He says, it says, Thomas said to him, Lord, do we not know? We do not know where you were going. How can we know the way? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. Uh, from now on, you, you do know him, and you have seen him. Why? Why do we know the Father? Why have we seen the Father? Because we know Jesus, and, and, we've, and we've seen Jesus. It goes on. Philip said to him um, in verse 8, Lord, show us uh, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said, Have I been with you so long that you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, Show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? Jesus is telling us that that His being with us and is is for us to be able to to know God, and that we need to through the power of the Holy Spirit walk with people in such a way that they come into confrontation with the truth of God and that they know God more as, as a result of spending time with us. Jesus promised in this passage, in beginning in verse fifteen, He tells His followers about the Holy Spirit. He said, "If you love me, you will keep my commandments." And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, ever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. The fact is that we've been given the indwelling Holy Spirit, the, the, the person of God indwelling us in, in the Spirit so that, so that we are able to know God. Jesus said in verse 18 that, that he would not leave us as orphans. It says, I will not leave you with or, as orphans. I will come to you. But, but before Jesus comes and before he, he ushers the fullness of his, his kingdom in and before he completes the, the, the task of, 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 of cleansing the world of sin and, and the, 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 the recreation of a new heaven and a new earth, earth right now, he says, we have the promise to know that we've not been left as orphans because we have the Holy Spirit. Now, I want us to think just a little bit about the crowd of people that were around Jesus and, and what we can learn from the truth of his presence with them about, about our, our walking out of, 
um, ministry of discipleship and, and, and passing along um, the things of God to others. You know, you think about the, the, the group of people around Jesus, there was a big crowd. We know that there were like 5,000 men, and, and so that was probably a crowd of ten or 15,000 people that, that Jesus fed um, back in John 6. And, and we think about that group of people, and we think, man, there were a lot of people that were there for a lot of reasons, some for good reasons, some because they were following Jesus intently, some for really poor reasons, um, some because they were hungry, some because they wanted a good show. But the truth is Jesus didn't forget about the crowd. He, 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 he worked to, to meet the need of the crowd, and he worked to, 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 to spread the message of the gospel to the crowd. Luke chapter 10 tells us about 70 that Jesus commissioned to send out two by two to tell the people around that the kingdom of God was at hand. Um, we, we know from that, that passage in Luke chapter 10 that this was a group of people that kind of got it, but they didn't really get it. Um, they came back after proclaiming the kingdom of God and seeing miracles happen at their hands, and they came back and gave praise to themselves instead of giving praise to Jesus. And, and so we know that they hadn't really quite gotten an understanding of, of the king of, kingdom of God and who Jesus really was and, and what it was that they were truly proclaiming. In John chapter six, later on, down in, beginning down in verse fifty-three, um, we see the we see the twelve, and and here's a this is an important passage. Jesus says something that's pretty crazy um, to his followers. He says to to the crowd of people that were around him um, that unless you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, um, you you don't have a part in my kingdom. And the truth is, a lot of people were disgusted by what Jesus said, and they were they were baffled by the things that he was saying, and they were put off, and they and they weren't getting their needs met, and so and so they they took off and left. And and then you have the twelve who were left, and and Jesus looks at them and says, "Aren't aren't you going to leave too?" And, and they say, they basically say, no, we're not going anywhere, Jesus, because we've already left everything to follow you. And so, and so we're going to follow you wherever you go. Um, it, it's, it's important to understand in this progression of understanding these groups of people that the longer that Jesus went into his earthly ministry, the more time he spent with fewer people. The Jesus ministry turned from the crowd and focused on the 12. And these 12 who said, we don't have anywhere else to go, Jesus um, focused intently on those 12, and those 12 ultimately um, spread the gospel to the ends of the earth. Their, their lives and the deep investment that Jesus made in them made, made a kingdom difference within a generation um, that the gospel had, had spread um, throughout the known world. And I think there's a great lesson for us there um, to, to learn the lesson that, that our task in discipleship isn't about making a shallow investment in a lot of people. It's about making, making a deep level investment of, of Christ and his gospel and his ways into, into a few people who can do that for others. You've heard me say before, Gordon MacDonald in, uh, in, in, in one of his, um, his in, incredible books, Recovering Your Spiritual Passion, um, talks about five kind of five kinds of people and essentially he says that that there there are five kinds of people in our lives that all of us need to have a Paul we need to have somebody who is farther along in the journey but shares our passion for the gospel and they're investing in us and helping us grow we all need people that are that are at a peer level 
Um, he calls them VIPs, very important people that are people that are kind of in about the same place we are in life and, and discipleship, but they're people who will hold us accountable and will spur us on to growth and people who will challenge us and, and, and people who will, who will do the journey with us, that we all need uh, what he calls a very trainable person. We all need a Timothy somebody that we're investing in and walking in walking with who is is not where we are spiritually they're they're immature and that we're investing in them for their maturity in Christ he talks about two other groups of people very nice people uh, Gord, uh, uh, McDonald estimates that we spend around 80% of our time with very nice people that are people that just, quite frankly, don't challenge us much. They don't really share our passion. They don't really contribute to those things that God has called us to, but they're just easy to be around. Um, and and that, 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 that our time is also taken many times by very draining people. And these are those people that are kind of emotionally um, in, in a what I would call almost an emotional black hole. They're the people that are never... Um, that are never quite filled up, that we never can quite help enough, and, and people that are just really draining upon us um, and, and keep us from being able to, um, to invest well in others. Um, and, and what he says about that is that we don't necessarily need to, to reject those people, but what we do need to do is put boundaries around a relationship so that we don't invest an inordinate amount of time and energy into people that ultimately are going nowhere. So what we can learn from this is, is that, that Jesus never, never really totally rejected the crowd. As a matter of fact, what we see is that, that when he continued to preach his message and he continued to move more deeply into his ministry, the crowd rejected him. Um, he didn't reject the crowd. Um, but that, um, but that, that there were these people who really stayed with Jesus and um, and and stayed with him to the end, and he invested in them deeply, and and that's something that we should strive to do. Realizing this idea that that Jesus investing in a few people was an important key to to his discipleship, an important key to the furtherance of the kingdom. McDonald says on page forty six of uh, Master Plan of Evangelism, this means that some system must be found in the church. He's talking about whereby every convert is given a Christian friend to follow until he or she can lead another. And so the, the question I would, would leave you with is this. What are we doing personally to, to be long-suffering and to inconvenience ourselves in order to walk deeply with someone um, to the point of spiritual maturity where they're ready to make a disciple? Who do you have in your life that you're working with and walking with and providing an example to and teaching that, that you're going out of your way to make that kind of investment in their life so that that person can, can become fit to become a disciple maker themselves? I'm sadly afraid that what we've done in the church very often in our discipleship is that we've created spiritual orphans. Um, because we've been quick to to share the message of the good news of the gospel, but then we've walked away from people and not helped them to know how to live in the implications of the gospel and how to become like Jesus. And so let us be people who... Um, who make an enduring investment and and go out of our way and do the hard thing in order to stay in relationship with someone long enough and to be intentionally present in that relationship to help them to learn what it looks like to to follow Jesus. 
This past week, I was at the Caring Well Conference with the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission of the Southern Baptist Convention, and the, the topic of that conference was uh, abuse and the church and how the church has not responded well in many cases to, to victims of abuse, particularly victims of, of sexual abuse, and about what we need to do differently. One of the people that spoke uh, on Friday night was Gary Haugen, who was the who's the leader of International Justice Mission. IJM does a does an incredible job of of ministering to um, the most vulnerable people around the world and and seeking to bring justice and protection um, to people who are vulnerable because because they lack a voice. <clears throat> One of the things that Haugen said that really struck me is he talked about what those who seek to, to abuse what those those who seek to steal from the vulnerable what they think about us as evangelical Christians and he said quite frankly he said what they think of you is that you're that you're late to the party that that you haven't been active in this issue that you haven't been attentive and and so they're and so they're not scared of you because because you're late to the party but then but then the, the really biting thing that he said is that that not only are we perceived to be late to the party but but we're perceived, it's perceived by those who would, would, give, who would harm that, that we're going to leave the party early. And, and, and then he went on to just give example after example after example, biblically and from the ministry um, of IJM, of times when being long-suffering and just staying, in, staying present and, and, and enduring and not going away, that God has blessed that endurance and that God has moved and that God has done things of substance um, for his kingdom because his people came and stayed. May we be men and women who invest in the lives of people and engage in the lives of people and that we come and stay and that we finish the task and that we, that we press in to see them um, discipled in such a way that they are presented whole and complete um, to Jesus. So I hope this Bible study has been, uh, been helpful to you today. Uh, we're thankful for uh, your continued, continued journey with us, um, and we'll continue next week with a deeper look into Chapter 3 of the Master Plan of Evangelism. I'm Rick Morton. It's been great to be with you today. Thank you. Well, thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week, we are praying for the country of Uganda, and we are praying specifically for the unadopted and for the government and for the church and our partnerships uh, there in Uganda. We are praying specifically, first and foremost, for the government of Uganda, for God to reveal himself to the judges, the probation office panel, and those who make decisions regarding orphan care. We pray for the church in Uganda, for God to strengthen Ugandan families and to grow, for them to grow more in their desire to care for the orphans, We're praying for sound doctrine and for the church to thrive, We're praying for pastors in Uganda. We're praying for those that are in and around Busega. And we're praying specifically for our church partner, King Jesus Church, and for Pastor Raphael as he leads the church, and for Alan, his, his beautiful wife. We're praying for our orphanage partners. We pray for God's providence protection in the homes that we work with. We pray for the directors, the nannies, and the children, specifically Miriam, the director of Loving Hearts, and Gerald, the social worker, and Matthew and Jethro who are there at Loving Hearts have been matched with a family. We pray for birth families, that poverty or special needs would not be a reason to abandon or place a child. 
We pray for our attorney, Isaac, who continues to work as an attorney in Uganda. And uh, Lord, we pray for his discernment and stamina. We pray for his health and his spiritual well-being. We pray that you would show yourself real to him. We pray for our families. You know, Uganda requires a 12-month period of fostering and residency before a family can apply for adoption. We pray that families who are open to God's will and how that he can grow in them through this process, we pray that God will sustain and protect them and give them wisdom and peace. And certainly we also pray for our dear Pastor Raphael, for his wife Alan and their four girls. We pray for protection and rest and good family time as they minister to their community. We pray that the pastors and church leaders that attended the September conference that was held will begin to minister to orphans and vulnerable children in their own communities. We pray for the children at Busega Community School for the Deaf and the Blind and for the Life Skills School. We pray that the students, the staff, and the teachers continue to grow in the Lord. We pray for continued financial provision for our projects, particularly a, a brick project that will help sustain the school and the church and the land development project. We praise the Lord for how he's bringing more and more students to the Busega Community School for the Deaf and the Blind and to the Life Skills Schools. We pray that they're good teachers, they're believers who have a passion for the orphan. We praise the Lord as well for King Jesus Church that is providing clean water to the surrounding community. And we praise the Lord for the impact that King Jesus Church is having on the community around them. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to work so closely with King Jesus Church and to partner so closely with them in Uganda. What a blessing it is to know Pastor Raphael and his wife, Alan, and for their, their four girls, for Charity and Tabitha and Delight and Selah. We just thank you for their family. We just ask that you would uh, be with Pastor Raphael and his family as they lead King Jesus Church. We just ask that King Jesus Church would be a light in the community, a beacon of hope that many people who've never come to know the gospel of Christ Jesus, Muslims who are blinded in unbelief, would come to know the gospel of King Jesus. And Lord, we pray that even as King Jesus preaches and even as the church is, uh, uh, continues to, to be strengthened in your manifold power and wisdom, we just ask that the government of Uganda, Lord, would open up, would open up to child welfare, would, would, would look at the way that they're making decisions regarding the orphan. And Lord, that you would bring stability and structure and understanding to this process. Lord, we pray for Loving Hearts Babies Home. We pray for their protection and we pray for uh, their provision and, their prov and, the, and your providence over both of those. Lord, we specifically ask for you to, to guard Miriam and Gerald in their hearts and use them as they lead in this home. Lord, we pray for birth families throughout Uganda who are struggling where that poverty has overtaken them. We just ask that special needs would not be a reason, that, that poverty would not be a reason that they abandon their children to these orphanages. Lord, we pray for Isaac uh, Abiro as he uh, continues to serve in this country. We ask for his health and his spiritual well-being, as well as for his sweet wife, Ruth. And uh, Lord, we just ask that you be with uh, his discernment um, and his stamina, Give him the ability to continue to, to forge ahead. And Lord, we pray for families, families who are willing to move to Uganda for an extended period of time to be the light of Christ to an orphan, to be the light of Christ to these children. And Lord, we also just ask for Busega Community School for the Deaf and the Blind. We ask that more children would come. We ask for financial provision, both through the brick project and land development. We just ask that you continue to undergird the teachers as they love on these deaf and blind students, and that the gospel would be preached and would be made known, and that little boys and little girls who have found themselves deaf and blind would come to know of the miraculous saving power of Christ Jesus. 
And Lord, we just again pray that you would undergird King Jesus Church and Pastor Raphael as he continues to do the works of the ministry and to preach the gospel. And we pray that this gospel would go forth and we pray that it would not return void. And we ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.